0: Hello and welcome to Watkins Wise Words, a podcast that celebrates conscious, passionate, wise and happy living. Thank you for tuning in and here
1: is your host.
2: So hello and welcome, my name is Steve Nabel and today I'm speaking with Tom Fortis Mayer and Nick seneca Jankel on belief, faith or spirituality. So Tom is a Harley Street hypnotherapist, author, international speaker and creator of The Free Mind Pillar Approach to Happiness. Tom is the author of The Free Mind Experience, which explains how to bring more peace, power and purpose into your life. And Nick is a wisdom teacher, breakthrough coach, innovation and leadership expert who works at the cutting edge of personal, social and organizational change. He's the author of Switch On, Unleash Your Creativity and Thrive with the New Science and Spirit of Breakthrough. So hi guys, welcome to you both. Hi. Thank you. Hi. So here we are now, you know, um, we have a cunning plan around uh, speaking about these issues of belief, faith and spirituality. So Nick, now I want to kick off with you because I read an article that you wrote and and this is what you, you said a bit of it. I quite liked it. I believe it's because being openly spiritual is the last great social taboo. You're sitting in a meeting or down the pub, you slip up and mention the S word. As you do, you catch that look in people's eyes. You've been condemned as an intellectual heretic or nice but dumb hippie. So, do you think that that's changing, or do we still have some way to go, Nick, on this whole spiritual word thing?
1: Um, uh, It's definitely changing. I wouldn't have written the article until it had changed enough for me to write it. Yeah, of course. And there's definitely a mainstreaming of an interest in what you might call the transcendent in British culture, and also... Uh, you know around the world I think it it's still early days Uh, I think the US is very different so the US it seems to be much more openness to any form of faith spirituality religion as a normal thing to talk about at a meeting yeah the UK because of our very rationalist and atheistic um, society there's lots of religion within it but sort of the way organizations are run and the way things occur it doesn't you know, religion doesn't really come into it and the same in France I think it's got some ways to go but there's definitely a, a renaissance of interest in these topics definitely
2: right so Tom you know talking on that note of a renaissance of, uh, of, of spirituality do you think there is a positive role for spirituality belief and faith in our modern world
0: yeah, I do. I mean, I think just helping people understand, you know, their relationship to their reality, you know, um people I think there is I think it's easy to to look at the world and think that people are becoming more open to these things and I think there's evidence to support that. But I also think there's evidence to support that people are more materialistic than ever yeah. um, and looking for happiness in all the wrong places uh, more than ever. But I, I also think there's a, a weird kind of flavor of mainstreaming where there's a lot of young people that are totally into yoga and mindfulness but not then they wouldn't consider themselves into spirituality <laughs> yeah. and aren't especially interested in personal development but they're interested in the kind of the life hack benefits of taking time to you know do yoga be fit and be mindful yeah. and so this is it, there there is some real mainstreaming of spiritual principle um starter drugs well gateway drugs gateway drugs
2: <laughs> gateway drugs yes <laughs> Do you, do, you, do you think that's a good thing Tom that you know people can um, you know enter kind of you know yoga with with the spirituality stripped out or mindfulness with it all stripped out as a way in do you think that's a good thing
0: I do I yeah. think I, I think actually you know and I'm passionate about running events where people get to experience the benefits of a spiritual perspective in a kind of laboratory condition, you know? It's an event, it's a celebration event, or it's a party, or and then you play with some of those themes, and people are like, oh, wow, you know, I haven't had a drink, and yet I'm feeling really happy. Why am I feeling happy? And it's like, well, because actually, using some guided processes, you've experienced life from a more enlightened perspective for three hours, and it feels good.
2: There's a safety aspect to it, that people need to go in step by step, you know, rather than jump all the way in, you know? Like, a bit of mindfulness might be an easy way to start.
0: I think there is that, but I also think that in many ways, people, people's ego structure intuitively know that if they get into that stuff, it's going to create change that they're not comfortable with. Yeah. Uh, and that's sensible. And, you know, I, I actually, most people begin on the spiritual journey for the hope of kind of spiritual benefit, mm. um, you know, more peace, more power, mm. um, and actually truly becoming conscious um, it doesn't increase the peace in your life probably for quite a while Um, and I would say it adds complexity and complication in a way which is more intense than not becoming conscious and awake and aware.
2: Yeah, Great, so Nick uh, back to you, Um, when I was working at Alternatives I remember some years ago the Bishop of London way back criticised the kind of new spiritual scene, saying something along these lines that it kind of resembled a supermarket where there's far too much choice and that was a bad thing. I mean, do you think that with all this, yes, I mean, as we mentioned, there's a materialistic kind of void, but do you think that too much spiritual choice is a problem?
1: I don't think it's necessarily a problem in and of itself. The challenge that I think people are faced with is that um, if... You cherry pick the bits you like, um, which is what I have done over the last twenty odd years. Right, I cherry pick the bits I liked. Yeah. There's a danger that if you don't engage with a system in its entirety, whether it's Sufism or Kabbalah or, or Christian mysticism or whatever, then you can um, essentially miss out the inconvenient bits, yeah. um, which is kind of you know pointing to what Tom was saying that um your defensive protective structures are quite happy to guide you to pick out the the juicy bits that are fun Mm. and sexy and cool um and miss out like the really intense shadow work um the healing of your primary traumas and wounds the taking responsibility for your full self as a creator of your reality and including all the stuff that you don't like in it, um, and so at some point on a on a true spiritual journey, a seeker's um, journey of completion, you will have to and categorically must engage in that stuff. And yes. if you're like at the buffet and um, the, you know the spiritual buffet, you're like, oh, I have a bit of this type, but. Uh, yoga it's really nice i have a bit of this um ecstatic dance because it feels really good and i have a bit of this stuff over here and then i can quite happily bypass and um hack all the actual deep dark night of the soul work which i see a lot of people doing like a lot in fact probably the majority of people i know who are i would say into contemporary spirituality um i don't necessarily think are fully engaged with the ugliness of their shadow and what it can and often does create in their reality
2: yeah is it a bit like you know there's old finthorn angel cards where you say pick one and somebody picks out obedience at the traffic lights and They say, i don't like that i'm putting it back you know right. <laughs> is it a bit like that right but it, and what you're kind of talking about is being held to account isn't it because i think any path you know would hold you to something like being responsible holding up a kind of mirror and of course if you're If you're in charge of all the mirrors and you go, no, I don't like that one, put that one down, then you can only go so far. That's kind of what you're saying, isn't it?
1: Exactly. Yeah,
2: great. Yeah. So, Tom, now I've been reading uh, an article that you wrote and uh, I think you wrote something on faith. And you wrote, um, I think it was on the Watkins website, I believe. Many people mistake faith as being a personal blessing whereby we as a separate individual will have some kind of golden protection and endless bliss. Life remains full of challenge, complexity and complication. Great talents go unrecognized. Good people will still die young. The material realm is always contained within the parameters of growth and entropy, and therefore will always be unsatisfactory, insubstantial, impermanent, but we are less focused on the small, limited and fearful personality, and more identified with our large, unlimited, loving universality, we are able then to see the bigger picture. So can you just say something about that? Is, is faith a matter of trusting something bigger than our small, fearful selves? Is that what faith is?
0: Yeah, I, I, I think in summary, that's exactly what it is. It's recognizing that our personal, you know, our personal hopes and wishes aren't necessarily the concern or interest of the collective whole. Um, if we can be more identified with the collective whole, then it's much easier to to be able to understand the unfolding of reality. And, and the wider we can hold that perspective, the more easier it is to see the perfection in all things. Mm. And that's, you know, because our personal reality is very attached to things being good or bad, right or wrong. And, um, Yet, when we can start looking from a wider perspective, from our universality as opposed to our personality, then actually there's a, there's a perfection which becomes really clear. And the idea of some one thing being better than another just starts to be preposterous. Mm. It's what they talk about in the spiritual text as being the dissolving of duality. It's, it's no longer differentiating your experience and imagining that one thing is somehow better than another. Mm. Um, it's being able to relax into the flow of the unfoldment but what is interesting at the point at which we are able to do that then we are actually operating with the kind of vibration and a kind of attitude and a kind of philosophy that means we are much more likely to be protected so that we at the point at which we don't need protection is the point at which we are more likely to be blessed
2: right let me ask you about that collective whole that you mentioned because <clears throat> you know a daily mail reader might think they were connected to the collective whole you know by reading by reading I'm I'm being facetious a bit here no, no it's fine yeah you know, what would you say about that collective whole you know how is it just it, it, i guess the labels don't matter but what would, what would you kind of say about that what is it
0: i mean for me my understanding i'm a, I'm a i am am ai mean i guess if i wanted to label my beliefs i 'm a pantheist i'm am a believer in all things being an expression of the divine yeah. um, which is great because Steve that makes you a god, which is I think easy to see, but don't get too excited because that means so's the carpet you know <laughs> you know sows yeah. the tarmac. sows so you know so all the things that are included within our experience you know and 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 for me the most the most free person, whether you call that enlightened or happy or Is someone who can experience the present moment without resistance, trusting that all is as it should be. And for me, if you're 100% yes to that, then that's that's freedom, you know, and we're in flow with what is occurring. And when we're in that place, then usually um, extraordinary things can happen, things that we wouldn't have usually designed or planned, or if we had a plan, would have blocked that. And so for me, what I've come to understand is, but I can't be 100% at peace with the moment as it is, unless I'm a hundred percent at peace with who I am because I'm an intrinsic part of it. I don't need the trees to be slightly green or I don't need the stars to be slightly to the left. I am, I am also part of that divine unfolding. I am the right person in the right shape at the right time with the right experiences and the right paradoxical feelings and fears and all of that stuff to be part of what is being asked for in that divine moment. And and for me, the kind of third element of that is in order for me to really feel that way about myself in the present means I must feel that way about every single thing that I've experienced because they're an intrinsic part of what makes me, me. And that level of kind of freedom, that level of faith for me is a trusting in the unfolding process and um it isn't personal it's if you're thinking of it in terms of uh, uh, my name is tom and this is my body then no my life lots about that would be you know you could see as being complicated and and, and maybe not easy or good but it's when we can hold that perspective of for me you know almost getting subatomic you know i'm the atoms that are making up my body are 13.7 billion years old they've been in many forms before they're going to be in many forms again that everything's just a moving around of the atomic structure the singular you know light field mm-hmm. then it, my personal hopes and wishes become less relevant and the analogy i like to use for this is this idea and it's talked about in lots of the spiritual texts you know it's mentioned mentioned directly in the dao de jing you know that the 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 sage won't won't be gored by the rhinoceros or attacked by the tiger and this theme turns up in hinduistic texts and also in modern media where there's the kind of native american sitting surrounded by rattlesnakes that aren't biting him or mel gibson can look at a Dog in lethal weapon and put out his two kind of fingers and control it with his mind and there's this kind of ideology that if we can be really zen like that animals won't attack us and but for me it that our relationship with faith or fear if we're in faith and we're not in fear if we're in fear we're more likely to um, be in resistance be in resentment not at peace in the moment and so this idea I got kind of captured by this idea that um, if according to the principles of oneness, if I can be as identified with the singular field as I am myself, so I'm walking around, I'm as much the trees and the carpet and the walls and indeed all of the animals as I am myself. I'm all things expressed at all times. Then if I was in a jungle and a lion happened upon me and it decided to eat me, if I was totally free, then I could be as content being eaten by the lion as anything because I would imagine myself as much the lion as myself. So I would be at the same time having a good lunch.
2: <laughs> okay. Now that's it's, a stretch. Yeah, it's a stretch. That's it's a stretch. A stretch. Yeah. It's but a stretch.
0: the thing that's interesting, and this is the bit that I I try and capture my interest, was if we were able to be that relaxed when we saw the lion, the lion would not see us as food. Mm. And it's that level of faith, it's that level of fearlessness <clears throat> which creates a, a field of protection. And you, can, you don't need to go into the jungle and take your chances with lions as your meditative practice. You can see this playing out in playgrounds with kids at school. You know, <clears throat> it's, We're programmed to attack that which is afraid and we're programmed to support and bless that which is in faith. Mm,
2: brilliant. Well, I just want to ask Nick. Nick, do you do you have anything to say on is faith a matter of trusting something bigger than our small, fearful selves? What would you say to that?
1: Um, well, I th- actually don't really like or use the word faith. Yeah. For me, I think faith is a word that's steeped in religious religion and ideology. Um, it's steeped in magical thinking. Um, it has within it a sense of a person, a, a person, a personal god um the, the, that does things for us and for me. Mm. Um so I think trust is a is a is a bigger word. Yeah. Um but there's some there's some understanding from the the Bible when it starts talking about faith, there's actually really talking about surrender. Mm. Um the being under things um and submission, surrender. So for me faith is or is better translated or understood as trust or surrender uh, in that um, there's a, what uh, Philip K. Dick called a vast active living intelligence system mm. that is constantly at work and, um, constantly uh has a set of a basic sort of uh rules about how things work it it wants growth it wants completeness it wants wholeness it wants creativity it wants evolution it wants complexity um and uh if we trust in that um and realize that that is the system that we are inherently part of and and are um then um, we can let go of feeling um, worried, anxious, disconnected. As Thomas says, it doesn't necessarily mean it will feel any better, uh, Though it usually ends up feeling internally more relaxed, but you still might have lots of problems. But then you can start seeing those problems as actually opportunities to be part of the growth. Yeah. And that's kind of where my work has landed, which is that life is full of complexity challenge difficulty if we switch on to those problems and we see them as part of this vast active living intelligence system becoming more of itself becoming more complete unfolding into more complexity and creativity and ultimately more thriving mm. then we can get on that that trip with it and see that within every single challenge there's an opportunity to become more peaceful and more connected and more whole within uh, no matter how dark and depressing it is, uh, at first look. Um, and a lot of my work in this area has been, um, what would be the word, uh, burnished uh, by the flame of um, the Holocaust, which was something that my family uh, went through. Yeah. Uh, many people died within. Yeah. Um, and as uh, a half-Jew or three-quarter Jew, actually, um, I decided I couldn't teach I couldn't teach teachings about faith, trust, surrender until I could square the circle of how does the Holocaust exist? How how right now, this second we're talking, um, maybe 100,000 children are being abused by their parents. You know, this is the reality of this world. Yeah. And there's no point talking about faith, trust and surrender until you really can understand why that's occurring, how that's occurring um, within a universe that we like to say is love. Right. a love based you know so so i think trust is realizing there is a um a system at work um and the more we trust that system ultimately wants wholeness and growth and completion uh, as tom said not necessarily uh, always prioritizing us as individuals uh, it might be culness of our tribe, completion of our system, um, betterness of our society. Um, then we can sort of we can align with that, um, uh, align with that program, uh, get on the bus, as they used to say, um, and be part of the solution.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, it's very really interesting. You know, I'm, I completely understand what you're saying about the Holocaust. And there's that famous author, isn't there, that. Um, was, was put in a concentration camp, his wife was killed um, his parents, what was his name?
0: Victor Frankl
2: Victor Frankl, so for him going through extreme darkness and facing all of that, you know it's almost like all that we love gets stripped away for him it seemed like his faith or trust in, in life became stronger, it's quite incredible isn't it
1: yes, I think faith and trust in life is a good statement rather than faith and trust in God yeah a god being a personal god um a god that um is trying to look out for us this whole idea that we're going to pray for something for us uh which seems to be the majority of what people think prayer is rather than what i believe prayer is which is how can i shift how can i be guided so i can align with what is seeking to emerge from this active living intelligence system yeah Yeah, brilliant so
2: tom um faith as we know uh, the word faith i mean nick did mention a little bit of it. it is a double-edged sword isn't it that we we can see with all the conflict around the world where people are fighting around whose beliefs are right yeah how can we really move through this kind i mean there's a positive side of faith but there's all this there's also this danger of blind faith what would you say about blind faith just like, it's almost like there's a kind of um, a challenge there that we've got to kind of be aware of and negotiate before we can get to some more positive uh, appreciation of true faith what would you say about that
0: Yeah, because for me, within the context of this debate, you know, faith is, for me, yet another word for the trust that Nick's talking about there. Uh, It's interesting because words, for me, it's like surrender, if it evokes for me the idea that I'm personal and there's a higher authority which is separate to me, which I must submit to. Um, Whereas... And I know that's not what Nick was saying, but it's, it's interesting that words, you know, evoke different ideas and different feelings. Yeah. Um, and, and, and and yet the context of your question or the feeling I'm sensing from your question is like, well, you know, how do we manage people with different religious beliefs? Yeah. Um, and um, because the trust or the faith that I'm referring to is by definition inclusive of all things and imagining that all things are occurring in the way that they're supposed to. Yeah. Um, so, so and so within that yes we're currently in a phase of that development of that singular fields awareness where it's 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 battling out it's looking at different models if you like of of how humans can find meaning and experience peace and at the moment large majorities of people have got a system for experiencing meaning that creates conflict Mm -hmm. and um um This is a learning field. It might be a slow learner, um, but I believe it is learning. In the same way that Edison had to discover successfully how not to make a light bulb, I think the universe and the field of consciousness is successfully discovering how not to have different religious beliefs at any one time on a planet. Do you
2: think um, it's it's kind of a question of, you know, I suppose blind faith would be someone saying, here's a book... Everything in this book is absolutely true. That would be one level of faith. Or another level of faith would be learning through experience, through exploration. This is kind of what you're talking about, I think, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, one is about ascribing to a set of ideas and another is is relaxing into the flow of um, your personal experience of life. It's trusting in the unfolding life. But for me... I think, I think where people have trouble with faith is, 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 is both on the personal and the global scale. So on the global scale, we've got, well, if, if this universe is, a, you know, a loving kind of conscious field, why would there be war? And mm. on the personal front, people's faith gets eroded because my wife was a good person and why did she die of cancer?
2: Yeah.
0: You know, and for me, you know, both the personal and the global can really get in the way of our peace and our understanding around it. And for me, an analogy that really helps me, because I went from being a a very kind of busy activist and working with Nick, actually, to try and create social change with Mm. a lot of push and a lot of shove of energy in it. With with the greatest and sweetest of intentions, but we were trying to fix the problem. Mm. and in that actually just my life became way more problematic Mm. Um, and when I lost my balance and when I tried to reconnect to my balance this kind of analogy surfaced in my mind and it has made such a huge difference for me which is a lot of teenagers let's say a 13 year old a lot of 13 year olds are um, self-serving self-centered shallow, Mm. gossipy Mm. Um, not especially loyal Um, now that's not all of them there are some amazing 13 year olds out there but I wouldn't think that a 13 year old that is all of those other things isn't amazing Mm. I would think that they're 13 I was like that when I was 13 I don't think there's anything wrong with I don't think there was anything wrong with me when I was 13 when I was like that it wasn't especially pleasant but I wasn't broken I wasn't a broken 13 year old I was a young human and 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 I don't place myself in a super, superior position, but for me, human consciousness, myself included, in many ways is adolescent. Mm. There's lots about it which is possessive, shallow, materialistic, selfish, self-centred. But I wouldn't. I'm not making that wrong. I see we're in evolving consciousness, and there's a, there's a, we're young it's a young consciousness and there's lots of moving towards enlightenment and it's taking time and there's terrible things happening in the meantime but I don't my faith includes that as being part of an unfolding which I totally trust and since I've got that it doesn't mean I'm burying my head in the sand and I'm not caring I still care deeply about making the world a better place and that compulsion in me is a huge part of that. So I'm following it, but I'm not following it. I'm not pushing from a place of despair. I'm pushing from a place of trust or faith Mm. that it's all as it should be in exactly the same way that if I was working with a client and they, um, they, they presented with some negative behaviors, some addiction or some violence to themselves or others, or I wouldn't point my finger in their face, tell them they were bad and and, and tell them they should be different. It was preposterous, right? Yeah. Actually, as a therapist, you, you help them understand why they feel that way and why they're behaving that way and you help them see the unconscious motivations and with a lot of love and a lot of care, you help them fall back in love with themselves and to forgive themselves and see that there are more beautiful ways of being that would serve them and you encourage them with lightness and beauty to move towards that more graceful way of being. Now, if that is true of one human, then that must equally be true of a society of humans. Mm. And so it's trusting in the innate beauty and the innate greatness that is that is enfolding out of this. And our job, I believe, is to do that for ourselves, is to be on this journey, paying attention to working through the levels of our of our childishness and and moving into our true kind of spiritual adulthood and that's our purpose and it for me when i view life from as a place where that's what's being invited through me where i have a responsibility to the collective conscious whole to liberate myself from these limitations and that is my purpose and that is what will liberate the field of consciousness from that pocket of doubt and difficulty then every day is college Every day you're walking down the street, life is reflecting whether you're coming from faith or fear. And it's an incredible process. And as soon as you start to see that pattern, then you have to ask yourself, well, if that pattern exists, then that pattern can't be on it sometimes and off at others. Mm. It is either on or off. It is either part of the oneness or it isn't. It's... Mm and if you, if you only need one experience of synchronicity where you can see an interconnected universe and that should be it, we should always put our feet up and relax now I, I have to remind myself constantly and that's what our spiritual practice is yeah. but it can't be this glorious interconnected synchronistic environment at times and not at others it's either on or off
2: mm, brilliant, yeah that's a brilliant response Tom, Nick, Nick I want to ask you something from a slightly different angle now because I know you work as a coach, can I ask you now, as a coach, you must come up again. I mean, Tom's mentioned about his work and how it connects with this subject, but could I ask you about, as a coach, you know about the power of belief, you know about the power of the placebo effect, how it applies, not, med- not talking about medicine now. How does this? How can you used this in a positive way with clients, with other people, with people we meet, and on
1: ourselves, really? So uh, let me make sure I understand what you're asking me. Um, How do you use the natural capacity and desire for the brain to create narrative and belief out of events in a way that supports uh, breakthrough, thriving, well-being, that kind of thing? Yeah,
2: Yeah. I mean, the client's own belief systems would work for them or or against
1: them, you know, yeah. Um, Yes, so, um, I mean, the first thing to recognise is that we are all mythopoetic creatures, as in we like to create myths, dramas, narratives, scripts, uh, explanations for everything. Um, I, I like to say that uh, nature abhors a vacuum, uh, physics abhors a vacuum, and human beings abhor a vacuum of meaning. So, as soon as we don't have any meaning with something, we, we create it. Um, and that meaning can be something that brings out of us our gentleness, our compassion, our our love, our curiosity, our our connectivity with others, or it can bring about separation and divorce and disconnect and the pain and suffering that brings. Mm. And ultimately, um, no philosopher or scientist will ever be able to declare that the meaning you attribute to something is true Mm. because it's meaning. Um, Even uh on something as as fundamental as uh the understanding that we're all part of one thing not two or many other things uh non-duality the sense that we are part of an interconnected whole which is so prominent in both tom and my work even that belief narrative um i can't prove it's true I experience it as true. I believe I've had experiences which which tell me it's true, as many others have. But I can't tell you it's true. I can't tell a client it's true. Um, so therefore, you ultimately get down to a kind of, you can, get, you can then cascade down to a more pragmatic question, which is which belief brings more um, love, truth, and creativity into your life? Mm. Which narrative? And which, which you don't? So that's a very pragmatic question. But that's still within the realms of what I would call a more traditional cognitive behavioral psychological approach. Mm-hmm. And to add the spiritual uh, aspect to it, so, you, so that's one question, which does this belief empower me to be uh, you know, a great person, a, a powerful person, but does it also empower me to be a loving, connected uh, person? So the personal development world tends to stop with does this belief help you be powerful? Mm. And what I'm more interested in is, does this belief help you be purposeful and bring love uh, into the moment into the, and, and truth into the moment? Yeah. And that's a much more spiritual question. Um, and then there's a sort of underlying sense of just which of these beliefs or stories or narratives feels in your body most true, mm. most connected. And my work has... I started off very much interested in in, in psychology and and on the path of training as a psychiatrist and studied psychoanalysis um, for a year. And it's all very heady-based. It's mind, beliefs, words, language. It works in language. And as I've deepened my work and started working with my wife, who came at the same space through a body approach, through dance and then through craniosacral healing and therapy, um, I've become much more interested in the felt sense of something uh, as an ultimate truth teller, um, which you might call intuition, but intuition not just as the whispering small voice of calm, but also a actual energetic flow in your body where you get a hmm, mm. or a or a or, a, or a, um, a spark or a flash of alignment of of um, of truth ultimately, mm. and so it, it's still it's still not a truth for everyone. Because you all felt sense about me saying, um, uh, you know, uh, to, um, believing that your anger is a natural response to the trauma you experienced as a child. Mm. That's a belief, right? Mm. I can't tell you that's true. I, 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 I suspect and hypothesize and will suggest it to be true. But when you take it on and, and, ex- and put it into your body as a client, do you get a kind of, ah, yeah. Mm. You know, recognition, a confirmation uh, in a deep body sense that this new belief has um, a better fit inside you, um, but also a better fit with the world. Uh, so a lot of my work is, talks about fittedness, so not survival of the fittest uh, mm. or, you know, the, the, the fit survive, the fitted thrive. Mm. So how closely do our beliefs and behaviors fit our internal truth mm. of who we deeply are in, in our most um noble and um uh sort of dharmic interpretation of ourselves but also how do my beliefs and behaviors fit the world around me am i walking around um a sexy tech company in silicon roundabout using the management techniques of a of a 1970s hierarchy in cincinnati you know Mm -hmm. that's probably not going to work very well um likewise using the beliefs about dating of that 13-year-old Tom was talking about to be a 40-year-old who wants to settle down and have children, probably not going to fit very well. Mm. Um, So belief is so powerful, um, but I'm not an advocate of just cognitively changing beliefs because they're convenient, more convenient, but really engaging with our entirety as a mind-body or body-mind to release beliefs that are no longer serving us um, and not necessarily invent, but sort of, let's say, allow new beliefs to unfold from within, which is part imagination, part creation, mm. but it's not a creation from nothing. It's not a creation out of just making it up. Like, oh, I'm a really, you know that the scene from American Beauty where she's looking in front of the mirror, she's going, you're an amazing realtor or whatever, I don't, can't remember the exact yeah. things. Kind of, I'm going to make up a belief which my body is going, no, no, you're not really, you don't feel it. Uh, which is kind of like one of the shadows of the personal development NLP space, is this sort of forcing. Um, But actually to allow new beliefs to unfold within from the truth that we are within us, which is interconnected to everything and all things, and new beliefs or new words or new meanings can be imagined through us, dreamed through us, um, and bring more truth into uh, a situation.
2: Brilliant. Thanks, Nick. So Tom, from an angle of like your work as a spiritual teacher and a hypnotherapist, what would you say about, uh, you know, some of the comments about meaning and shifting beliefs and unfolding from your perspective? Yeah,
0: I mean, I really, I really, you know, it really chimes with me. I agree uh, that that belief and meaning, it's all subjective. And the question is, you know, whatever paradigm you choose to believe, whatever metaphor you choose for spirituality, whatever philosophy you choose as atheist, agnostic or whatever. It, it, for me, you know, and weirdly, Jesus said the same thing. It's not about the roots. It's about the fruit. It's like, how does your philosophy help you <clears throat> be happier and and be more purposeful in terms of making this world a better place. Not by the great acts that you necessarily do, but by the sweet being that you are on a daily basis. For me, and in terms of my clients, you know, they're coming for personal gain. And so it really is hugely, you know, interesting to me. Is like, well, how are your beliefs and how is your operational philosophy supporting you to enjoy your experience, you know? And, 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 and the most amazing thing about some of these more modern rapid change techniques is, beliefs can be changed metaphors can be changed Mm. and 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 people can absorb new philosophies more quickly than ever um and but uh, you know what but uh, uh, there's a lot of kind of atheistic thinking now where they do experiments to prove that you know people's belief is you know arbitrary and imaginary and, and and they're very quick to reduce that and there's a classic experiment that Darren Brown did on one of his TV programs. And he, he met with a woman who'd agreed to be a subject in an experience. And he met with her in a cafe and said, um, so we've hired actors to interact with you over the next two weeks. And um, we just want you to keep a video journal. And these actors are going to be designed there to teach you lessons. Nice. And, and then he, he pointed out someone that was about 50 meters away and he said to her, oh, mind your feet, they might get wet or some such thing. And then he pointed out a guy reading a paper about 20 meters away and he stood up at that exact moment, flecked his paper, which meant someone on a bicycle swerved to miss, then a ball was dropped by someone. <clears throat> and this chain reaction occurred where someone ended up spilling water where her feet had just been, which blew her mind, right? All right so it set the scene that they were going to be orchestrating all these contrived experiences to have an impact on her and she was very impressed and she went away with a video camera to make a video journal in truth that was the last thing they contrived and he was doing an experiment to show that people with faith imagine that god is communicating to them when he isn't so she did this video journal every night she's saying oh that guy in the supermarket that was a message that was you know that was darren brown communicating to me she had this whole experience and and darren brown used that at the end of the two weeks he said you know and she'd made changes in her life she would decided to i think change her career she decided to spend more time with um her real friends and her family um she'd started uh, doing more yoga and eating more healthily it's amazing and darren brown was kind of um taking some joy in proving that that proves that people's faith is imaginary Now, what I found much, much, much more interesting is if you repeated that experiment with 500 people, what would the similarity be in the changes they were choosing to make? because for me that begins to prove actually what nick's talking about which there is a movement within the field of consciousness that is moving towards greater integrity greater health greater harmony all of these extraordinary things so whether the situation or the context is imaginary there is a driving force within the center of our consciousness that is moving us towards more integrated and beautiful ways of being Mm -hmm. and for me It's knowing that our conscious structure and our personality system and our ego structure is a limited perceptual mechanism. And that if we can just relax into the deeper intelligence of our inner mind, which I personally believe is collected to a single kind of collective consciousness. But you don't need to believe that to trust that you're unconscious or your soul or your heart or however you might want to label it or God or your spirit or your higher self is is ready and waiting to guide you to more beautiful ways of being and for me what's interesting is what do you need to do just to help people pay attention to the patterns
2: Mm, beautiful well look guys it's been a great conversation belief faith or spirituality tom nick look thank you so much for taking part and we could probably go on for another hour or two don't you think
0: <laughs> <laughs> this conversation has been happening for about more than 5,000 years. It's not going <laughs> to.
2: So, thanks, guys. Thanks very much.
0: Thanks, Steve. As ever. Brilliant. And, Nick, lovely to be connected with you on here again.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Okay.
2: Like um, what you've heard, be part
0: of our community by visiting WatkinsPublishing.com, following us on Twitter at WatkinsWisdom, or liking us on Facebook.